You are listening to Fruitless, a podcast hosted by me, Josiah Sutton. This is episode nine, Learning from Lost Futures, featuring Phil Chrisman. Say, uh, welcome to Fruitless. Uh, today I am joined by Phil Chrisman, uh, author of Midwest Futures and How to Be Normal, um, the latter of which I have not read yet, but I intend to. <laughs> um, why don't you kind of uh, introduce yourself here real quick? And Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, uh, as Josiah just said, I'm the author of Midwest Futures and How to Be Normal, which is the second one's an essay collection. Um, and um, I teach uh, mostly first-year English at University of Michigan. Uh, what else? I edit the Michigan Review of Prisoner Creative Writing. Um, I'm Episcopalian, uh, <laughs> but I do believe in in the. Uh, you believe the in God? <laughs> I do. I, I I am not kidding when I say the Nicene Creed. Uh, <laughs> No fingers crossed behind your back or anything. No fingers crossed behind my back. Um, I'm trying to think what else is what else is relevant to this this specific. I'm I'm a basically lifelong Midwesterner except for mm-hmm. the five years that I spent in the South, which were uh, a strange anomaly. Yeah. Um, well, so a, a theme on this show that was you know very first episode. Um, we we actually talked about Midwest futures and talked about. Um, Midwestern identity. And um, that's, you know, a topic I kind of want to keep returning to, especially as a, you know, myself, lifelong Midwesterner who's just kind of been trying to make sense of what it is out here. Um, you know, it's it's very much framed as a place without a history or a place without an identity. And yet it is, it's got that, it's got its history, it's got its identities. Um, and you know, you're, you're one of the few writers that I think are, is actually really tackling that issue and thinking about it, at least in the spaces that I'm in. Um, and so, yeah, I, I asked Phil to come on and just talk about this. And I, uh, just finished, uh, Midwest future about an hour before this interview. So it's all <laughs> fresh in my head. Um, You've just had the beatific vision. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess, to start off, we can kind of start off with just some of the basic ideas that you float there that in a way the Midwest is kind of a repository for America's idea of normal, which is kind of an idea you continue on into your next book. Um, I guess, do you want to say a little bit about that and how, how, you, how you see that? Yeah. Oh, boy. I, you know, I could have said this so crisply like two years ago when <laughs> I had, when I had just written the book. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that's a very, I mean, one, that's uh, obviously a, a pretty consciously constructed thing. Um, mm-hmm. When I tried to, when I tried to research, you know, where that, that comes from, I, I kind of found myself looking a lot at the late 19th and early 20th century. Um, mm-hmm. the, and, and the Midwest actually kind of has a, a moment culturally then where, it's seen as sort of the cutting edge of, yeah, of, 
of, of, of the United States. Um, and, and, uh, Frederick Jackson Turner, um, who's, I mean, he's a, as, as historians go, like he's a good writer. You, you see why he was a big deal. Uh, there's a, mm-hmm. a lot of, it's just a lot of racism of the, of the early 20th century progressive sort, um, built into mm-hmm. his ideas. That, that right. You, can't really, you know, you can't really blink away, but, um, you know, he kind of helps to, to theorize why that is that, that the frontier is America is, um, the essence of what makes America mm-hmm. good and interesting and that the, the place where the frontier line has passed through recently enough that people are still hardy and, you know, they're, they aren't yeah. decadent. They aren't too a feet. Um, they're not, they're not too Henry Jamesian yet, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the great gender politics on all of this stuff. It's just oh, sure, abs- yeah. absolutely great and totally bears scrutiny. <laughs> Uh, no questions 10 out of 10 uh you know the the, but so the place where you know it's it's not like not that way like the the east the 13 Mm. colonies are but it's also um not completely raw and unrefined uh like california um (laughs) <laughs> at the moment at the moment when he's he's right i mean the, the first version of the frontier mm-hmm. thesis was the chicago world's fair of 1890 yeah it was it was like late yeah. 19th century uh, yeah, yeah yeah um and of course by the time the the frontier um thesis argument comes out even as a formal book this is already starting to change because uh, that mm-hmm. it took him a minute but um which as a as a person who teaches uh three sections of freshman english a, a semester it's like i get it i i totally get yeah, how that yeah. happens <laughs> but uh um yeah so the, so it's it's america just fresh enough just new enough um mm-hmm. you know this is the place where whatever an american is going to be um we're going to figure that out yeah. and and there's there's you know at, at least um as some cultural historians um see it you know the midwest kind of has a moment from a about when turner first first writes that um mm-hmm. up, up through about the 20s um whereas by the 20s we're already starting to hear about the midwest as a little bit old timey and and the thing that um, the thing um it's it's starting to become the place that you leave to go to new york <laughs> if you want to be important right <laughs> um it's 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 your your old ohio home uh <clears throat> Right. So you know that like that moment passed very quickly, but it's it, like that's kind of the first layer of theorizing about the Midwest, mm-hmm. um, and ever since then the Midwest has kind of been functioning as a a stage for continued futures that get mm-hmm. get tried out and and rejected. So it's. It's a, it's a haunted place in that way. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's also a haunted place in that, um, you know, it's stolen like the rest of the United States. It's yeah. stolen land. Right, so, right. Yeah, that yeah. also counts. <laughs> right, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, the, the Midwest is the place where um, the future of America was, was kind of tried out. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you... you throughout the book kind of try to to reclaim some of the weirder aspects of that history because when we think of that we think like little house on the prairie um but there really is like this was where weird utopian 
settlements were started. This is where abolitionists moved. Um, you know, this is this is a place that has a, a weird history that could um, go. You know, it, it could be reclaimed in some sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. reclaimed or or at least learned from. You know, mm. like I I use I think in the book and in some of my past writing I use the term reclaim or or I mm. I use kind of like let's identify with this or let's pick this up and 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 do it again um, and I. I guess I'm beginning to doubt my own use of, of, of that kind of language. Cause one, what, the, what does it really mean? I mean, it, yeah. Know, what does it mean to reclaim the history? It, yeah. If it's, if it's a possibility that sort of, um, you know, like what would it mean to reclaim bleeding Kansas at this point? <laughs> right. Bleeding, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It is so cool that people up and moved to this miserable uh, I mean, I'm not dissing Kansas now. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, being a being a pioneer was not fun. No. Uh, <laughs> but people up and moved from from the East Coast to to Kansas to make sure that it to keep it from becoming a slave state. And you know, they 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 fought physically to to make mm. that happen. I mean, that that rules. That's that's badass. I respect yeah. people like that. I uh, like. I think that that. Um, part of me wants to say that's that's what Midwesterners should be trying to be, and that's also mm. what American Christians should be trying to be. Because in the in the second book, you'll you'll see this more. But I also have this, in addition to having this, man, the Midwest used to be cool, um, kind of romantic streak. I also have this. I was fascinated for quite a while about the question of like what happened to evangelicalism. Uh, yes. What happened to the word evangelical? Because yeah. historians will use the word evangelical in the context of the 19th century to describe some of the, some of the American Christians who I think are like weren't really worth a damn, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the abol- people, abolitionists, early feminists, um, and and people who are not like. And so, I mean, it's 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 an achievement to even have those uh, those convictions passively in the 19th century. But I, you know, I'm also talking about people who led very hardship-filled lives, uh, yeah, yeah, giving up those commitments um, because they loved Jesus and they loved uh, other people. So that's that's hmm. you can coherently say that that is 19th century evangelicalism. What yeah, the hell happened, happened, man? How did yeah. you screw that up? <laughs> Yeah, well, I would. Oh man, I'd I'd love to get into that in a lot of ways too, because uh, you know that there there definitely was a shift that took place in the 20th century. Um, One thing, I mean, reading Kristen um, uh, Kobes Dumay's book. Um, you know, uh, yes. That filled in like one like very simple but very. Um, That's a great book on that topic. Yeah. 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 It's a, um, it's a it's a great book and it's also useful to have around uh, because mm. you can just look up in the last chapter um, whenever you know your fundamentalist relatives get really excited about a book or a speaker just just check that last chapter and see if he's molested any shelter if he's been incredibly <laughs> accused of molesting any little little girls um, there's like a 50 50 chance <laughs> he's gonna be in that chapter. It's so daunting reading. It's like reading yeah. Bolaño's 2666, reading that last chapter. It's just, yeah. Oh, and then another atrocity. Oh, oh, and another, oh yeah. And yeah. God, uh, she, she 
puts a lot of weight on uh, missions and kind of like uh, uh, the, the the relationship of empire with the third world being tied yep. to like this yep. evangelical worldview is very, it's a really yeah. great book. I, I can't yeah. recommend it enough to anybody listening, but um, no, uh, I think she I think she fills in the gap quite a bit of how um, a combi- combination of like the residue of the fundamentalist movement from the 20s kind of starts to resurge alongside, you know, masculinist kind of politics of the John Wayne variety. And, um, and they, the fundamentalists rebrand. Um, I forget what year mm-hmm. she mentions, but the when they want to start a new organization sometime in the 40s, they make a point of calling themselves the National Association of Evangelicals, which yeah. is, is very, conse- that's a very consequential moment. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, the it seems to me that um, southern uh, s- southern conservative evangelicalism just of, of the 19th century, which is the kind where you can have slaves, um, mm-hmm. became uh, yeah became twenty became 20th and 21st century evangelical. Well, and, and we can see so that in like the explosion of the Southern Baptist Church over like the past you know half half century here. You know, that that is the biggest denomination of Protestants in America and makes sense. <laughs> like, it literally it literally exists uh because they needed a Baptist denomination that would be like, Oh yeah, no, you can have slaves. Cool with slaves, yeah. That's and like I'm Episcopalian, so I, I think it's okay for your church to have an embarrassing origin story. I think that oh, can yeah. keep humble, but like you know, they, they, they haven't they haven't yeah. gotten far enough away from that originary moment. No, no. No, I don't. I I don't think they've done anything to fully undo it. I mean, like I, I know they've what finally got around to denouncing slavery a couple years ago or something. Uh, <laughs> but like they, they succumbed <laughs> to wokeness. Yep. But then that's exactly it, right? Is now the battleground is critical race theory and stuff. And I mean, if you can't see past that dog whistle, you're a moron. Like it's it's pretty clear what this is about. And it, and we know it's what it's about because like the the you know handful of black pastors in the SBC have been adv- advocately like no this is bad <laughs> like you guys are trying to criminalize like talking about race <laughs> talking about history yeah <laughs> talking about yeah. what actually happened what yeah. took place yeah but yeah yeah there there was kind of this the the evangelical identity and the the kind of southern wing of it. I, I don't know. It, it's so hard now to think back on like phrases like fundamentalism or evangelicalism. They're, they're all these disparate ideas that were that were brought together because even fundamentalism wasn't inherently a right wing thing in the 20s. You know, there there were, um, you know, there was a lot on the I wouldn't call it the full social gospel, but there was a lot about like charity and about, uh, you know, taking care of the poor or whatever. But you, you see a switch that kind of came alongside like Moody's, uh, you know, desire to crush unions and, you know, it, 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 it came with time, but it, you know, all these things, evangelical fundamentalism, we think of those as distinctly right-wing things now, but they, they, they weren't. Um, yeah, and it, it was, was, it was yeah. contested and it didn't have to, it didn't have to end up this way, which is why those, those kind of like glimmering moments in, in the history of both of those things and of the Midwest, um, mm-hmm. 
that make me go, wow, you used to be, so, you know, it's like when you find pictures yeah. of your parents where they were, they're doing something really rad and you're like, yeah, I, cool. <laughs> think, um, of, think of my, uh, my now reformed, uh, evangelical father, I run funding, running into a picture of him in his twenties, flipping off the camera. And it's like, Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, or it's, it's, it's like, um, I, I don't know. Maybe this is a gen X music fan thing, but I feel uh -huh. like, for a lot of music guys my age, there was a moment when you when you hear any Rod Stewart song from before about 77, 76, and you're like, what did they do to this man? <laughs> what did what happened to him? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I, I, I think, uh, you, you know, people who are only aware of John Lydon uh, from, you know, the, the Butter commercials and his Trump endorsement, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, no, like the first three Public Image Limited albums were totally awesome. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. <laughs> no, anyway, yeah, like I, I get really hung up on these moments, but I, I, I also I don't know if the language I should use is so much return to because that sounds a little nostalgic as draw inspiration from draw inspiration. That's a great, you know, that, that that's a uh, that's that's a good way of putting it. Because I, I mean, I think even the rise of a lot of these the ex-evangelical types who uh, the you know there there's the, that's a mixed bag itself. But a lot of the ones that I like, I would put myself in, um, and and you kind of yourself fall into right of the the kind of former fundamentalists or evangelicals or whatever that that moved into more progressive or left-wing Christianity, kind of hints at this. There was you know this. This logic was hidden still inside of that movement. Of course, eventually it leads to people leaving it. But like, you know, I, I came to leftist positions because because I, I was a good fundamentalist and I read the Bible and, you know, th there's definitely reactionary views I held because of that. But I also remember very being very stunned by the prophets and being like, I don't know, there's something here about, uh, you know, it, it pretty explicitly talks about how you treat refugees it pretty explicitly talks about how you treat the poor and you know have you yeah been? yeah i mean and and like you know i fight with my dad a lot because he's he's a fundamentalist and and yeah. he's he's read all the books and and so yeah he, yeah. he can he can fight <laughs> me on the details you know uh but you know one thing i i always will really love about him is that like he doesn't do when he's walking through like a busy like center of a city he doesn't do the thing that like a lot of uh, my progressive ann arbor friends do where he just walks past homeless people uh who are asking for money as though he doesn't see them if he, he responds to every request even if it's with a no um or i'm sorry i can't you know he really wants to give up every poor person who asks his money which I would not say that that's super characteristic of fundamentalists that I've known in general. I would also say it's not very fucking characteristic of, certainly not of like centrist liberals and not enough characteristic of leftists. No. Um, and and he, to he, he does that because he understands the, he also understands what Jesus says as, as stuff Jesus actually said because he meant it, you know? Right. Which I absolutely. agree with him about that. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. I'm with Jesus on this one. Yeah. <laughs> you do got to hand it to him. You do. <laughs> um, God, there's a lot. There's a lot here. Um, oh, yeah. So, so I, I was going to pull this, um, pull this to the Midwest here. Um, 
So you you have all these like disparate, lost, you know, progressive, you know, it, it all coalesced into a kind of a right wing phenomenon, evangelicalism. And, you know, it, evangelicalism is a product of like the South, but it, it is also a Midwestern thing as well. Um, and I, I was thinking of this because, you know, we, we talk about Jesus and John Wayne, that book. I uh, lived for uh, eight years of my life in the town next to the town that John Wayne was born. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I, 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 jo- there John Wayne. There should be a, it seems like there should there'd be a statue. I can't remember if there is. It's, it's, I didn't visit the place by any means, but you know, it's, it's Winterset, Iowa. And, um, I, you know, and so, yeah, there, there's an aspect of this whole masculinist kind of identity that that's a product of of the midwest in the same way um it's you know it's it's the frontiersmen um now like the the recently domesticated frontiersmen is kind mm-hmm. of like the american masculine identity right um he always can, ready to break out at any moment you know he's still he can still trap you a bear and fry yeah, up yeah. snakes but he can also um be mayor of the town yeah yeah, yeah exactly and i uh i was thinking of Oh God! Uh, one of my favorite chunks of Midwest Futures, actually, and I, I think getting us into this co- a conversation about the future, kind of kind of starts here. Is is uh, you you were writing about the moment when Trump got elected in 2016, and oh God, the this sense of like panic that kind of takes over, and you are imagining becoming a homesteader. You know what I mean? Like going out and starting your own like commune or whatever buying a bunch of guns and like we'll we'll hold uh, out and we'll fight off but leftishly <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you you know it was like it was like this the ideology of this place took you over even though it was from a left-wing perspective it was the same thing yeah um yeah, it was it, it was instead i've i've got to become uh i've got to become like a, a john wayne movie character who yeah ruled violence protectively because i'm because I'm married to a woman who uh, worked, was was running a prison arts organization at mm-hmm. U of M at the time. And, you know, I, I, the whole time she's worked at U of M, I've basically been waiting for the moment when Fox News discovers that she exists and we start getting death threats. And, and like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm gonna have to beat some guys' asses, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm, this gonna is... to, I'm going to have to assess which of these are serious, you know? Yeah. Um, and and we were letting a couple um, you know, students who, for various reasons, needed a place to stay, stay with us, and they both happened to be black guys. So it was like mm-hmm. I've got I've got to I've and, and these, this is who's yeah. under assault. <laughs> this is who's yeah. under assault. I've, I've got to stick up for him. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was still like how the way that I'm going to do that is uh, this completely unworkable and absurd idea. Yeah. Where did that even come from? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The frontiersman it, it, like lives on in the back of your head of like what we're supposed to be as yeah. like men in America. Yeah, you know, and there's there's good bad sides to that. But I, I'm thinking of you know 2016 was. I think it, it, this would probably you know show me as being younger, but to me felt like the beginning of the cri- like of of a sense of crisis um, of the last few years. I understand like for for you know people older than me, it would be the Bush era, or it would have been number of other things but for, for me like 2016 was like a radicalizing moment you know that was like oh we we've gone off the rails history started back up again 
Um, mm-hmm. Right. I remember and, thinking that exact thing. Yeah, I, 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 I think I'm quoting, <laughs> quoting you. This is this is the problem with uh, with uh, reading the book so close to the interview is I'm just quoting <laughs> you back at you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I um, and so we think of that alongside like you talk a lot about climate change, which is something I, I have on my mind a lot as well. There is an inevitable crisis. It's it's not like might happen there is a crisis coming and in a lot of ways the midwest it it's not going to be unscathed but it's going to be doing a little better than the rest of the country and the rest of the world um and so it will be a place that people flock to um in one way or another that's that's going to be refugees um from the coast from latin america from the you know global south and that is both a terrifying reality and also an opportunity uh to create something good and so, yeah, th- that's that's kind of where we're where we're at right now is we're we're struggling to imagine a future in light of an impending crisis. And I, I think that, unfortunately, even though that a lot of them are climate denialists, um, evangelicals have a better understanding of of an idea of like the world in crisis because they ima- they've constantly imagined it since what since um, I mean probably since the beginning Ever. with yeah, the yeah, millenarian movements just, but it's always the wrong or it seems like you know, that's that's an overstatement but it's often the wrong crisis you know it's, yes i realized a little while ago that you know um that it's probably a mistake to like reading yourself as the protagonist of the book of revelation is that's Not gonna good. that's gonna mislead you that's mm-hmm. that's a status god decides to award you <laughs> <laughs> and right. not yeah. you know but, but, but that's where that's that's what a lot of that is it's like oh um okay how can i how can i reverse engineer a scenario mm-hmm. by which the government's going to persecute me um rather than who is the government persecuting um, yeah you know yeah like, who is the government actually persecuting right now which is um not you <laughs> not you you know you know, it's going to be it's going to be the immigrants, you know, and it's and it is currently like LGBTQ uh, people, as we're seeing kind of this spike in uh, anti-trans, anti-gay legislation yes. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, and, and that that's the conservative, like liberals and centrists off the hook either. I mean, the, uh, you know, turfism is not a. Turfism mm. is a reactionary movement, but most of the people who are true turfs in the sense of, of, of believing that they're coming at this from a radical feminist perspective, uh, yeah. they consider themselves to be, to be liberals, even though like a lot of them are not keeping that company anymore. No. Um, that, that one's, <laughs> that's been a special, like, I guess I hoped that maybe because I, I don't even know what would count as a as a fundamentalist proof text that you absolutely mm. can't be trans. I mean, maybe I, I think somewhere Paul says something mean about cross dressing, depending on how you translate it. And so maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe that's how you'd go about it. But like, I, I mean that it doesn't seem like, it, you know, I mean, it, even I, I'm even for um, an issue like, uh, ordaining women uh you know you can you can at least find things that really really look like proof text against Mm -hmm. that and you have to kind of step out in faith and say well okay but taste you know i I think the christian epistemology is taste and see and you know Mm -hmm. 
women preachers are doing a lot of great work uh, and, yeah. and they're not doing it by the power of Satan. So I guess uh, here we are. Yes. You know? <laughs> and I think I think you have to I, I, that that's ultimately the path by which I um, you know wound up assuring myself that uh, my pro gay position was all right you know yeah yeah it's it, it seems like you you know you don't even have to do that uh, with trans issues but like I, I mean the, yeah. those issues seem to freak people out more more than anything and it just it just sucks and then always perennially. In, in the United States, who who is taking punches is 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 working class black people and, and black people, mm-hmm. or generally. I mean, that's yeah. that's one one place where you actually could say Christians are incidentally persecuted just because that's the most devout demographic. Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about um, you know the the yeah there there was there's this this fear that like um, God like. Uh, that, 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 you know, a, a terrorist is going to come and shoot up a church. You know, that was something that, you know, uh, oh, yeah. was, it was, was really, the you know, they're going to, they're going to, there's going to be a night of violence at crisis yeah. centers. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But then, you, you know, you look at like actual, like where the church shootings have happened in recent years, it's been black churches, you know, it's, it's Although been there was that, white there supremacies. Was that piece a few weeks ago. Mm. Uh, what? Yeah. I don't, I don't. There was a church shooting just a few weeks ago at an Episcopal mm. church, and then um, oh, yeah. I'm trying to remember where it was. And my impression, I, I, I just remember being struck, like, yeah, this seems to be a break from that pattern. But yeah, in general, I yeah, mean, in general, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there was there was a, a smaller shooting actually, a little uh, actually an hour north of me um, at a evangelical church, but it was, um, I believe, either a congregant or a former congregant. Um, killing his ex-girlfriend i believe so it was it was much more tied to like the and and troubling because i'm familiar with the church and so it was was troubling because it's like i I don't know i'm not going to hold a church responsible for that choice an individual made but it's i can see in the theology where he got that rage against women you know i i don't know um there's there's yeah definitely like a, a violence kind of hidden under midwestern evangelicalism um but yeah, uh, sticking up for in those cases the um, the real people that you see persecuted. It's yeah, it's going to be uh, you know uh, you know all the people that that the evangelical Midwesterner is often afraid of. And I, I think of um, think uh, w- one thing that's kind of interesting. Uh, if I'm correct, Midwest Futures came out in 2020, right? And it would have probably been earlier 2020, right? It came um, out right at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so this, this I, I was I was one of those writers who had to be like, don't think about what this is doing to your book sales. Don't, yeah, don't yeah, be an don't asshole. Don't be an asshole. Um, so one thing that's kind of interesting that hadn't happened before, while you were writing is is the uh, the explosion of the protests that coming summer, um, which is you know something I think I I am constantly relitigating in part because. Um, being at the age I am, that was probably the first big political explosion that I was part of. And, you know, there was something kind of interesting that I, I feel not many have talked about, that it broke out in Minneapolis, of all places. It, it broke out in the Midwest, um, which is, you know, it, the, the repository for normal is where this kind of uh, the violence, you know, police violence started to really get push back against and then of course it got bigger in like new york and you know bigger cities but you know i 
was stunned participating in the protests here in Des Moines, Iowa, how militarized our police were. You know, I never thought I would get tear gassed in my normal city. And I, I think it was it, I, I, something stuck out to me because you noted that, you know, as you know, as you talk about the South, a lot of the racial race related violence that takes place is these like, you know, lynch mobs. They're like, you know, they, there's kind of that history as in the Midwest is a lot often riots that broke out. And so I, I, I don't know if you have any connections that you see there with that kind of history that, that that's exactly what happened. It was it was riots in the Midwest that broke out this. Um, uh, what would eventually be international movement for a summer. Um, I don't know. Do, do you well, have any thoughts I mean, on that? Yeah. Mi- I mean, Minneapolis, like I, I happen to have lived in the twin cities for a couple of years in my twenties. Um, mm-hmm. You know, during the period, the, a lot of people who wind up in academia do this where it's like, Oh, I, I, I'm a big nerd who loves books, but academia is so elitist and disconnected from the people and so I've got to yeah. do literally anything else. Uh, and I tried to browbeat myself into becoming a different kind of person than I am. And it just, just didn't take. But <laughs> so during this period, I was working uh, at a homeless shelter. And that was, um, so that was around 2004, 2005. Um, okay. And so that's when I learned that ac- um, and it's a, it embarrasses me to ad- admit that this was a surprise to me at the time. But um, very, very liberal cities can have incredibly racist police and in, in long histories of racist police and also classist. I mean, you know, the white clients at the, at the, at the homeless shelter got, you know, slapped around and, and beat up too. Mm. Um, every, every time I came to work on a Monday, something, you know, unspeakable had happened to, to, to somebody or somebody that somebody knows um, mm. over the weekend. And I was like, you know, I was so dumb. I was like, they they can't do that. <laughs> That's terrible. That's all, How do yeah. they get away with that? Um, don't the voters? You know, I no. I, a, a lot of a lot of so a lot of white liberals don't know. Um, I, mm-hmm. I I will still maintain that. I mean, people want to say, oh, they know. They just some some don't know. I mean, I did I didn't know. Um, yeah. A lot of white liberals are fine with it. I mean, I live now in Ann Arbor, uh, which is, you know, it's a we see ourselves in ex- as an extremely progressive city, but um, you know, try to build some affordable housing, uh, and yeah, people get the <laughs> the internal politics of the city get suddenly really weird. <laughs> um, you get all these anomalies. So you know, the, 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 there's some of that, but also I, we're increasingly. I don't think this was as true in 2005, but you know, we're increasingly seeing that in some of these cities, the mayor has, has no control because the police are like this gang that will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you can't be sure they won't take out a hit on your family. I mean, we saw that with de Blasio for heaven's sake. Um, (laughs) his his kid, uh, you know, not to, not to defend him too much, but like, Oh, I get it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I I think, but what but what is the specific history there? I mean, part so part of it is these are great migration destinations. I mean, so mm. are so are East Coast cities, but you know these are these are places these are cities that had dynamic, you know, during during the years when America was almost a social democracy. Yeah. Um, these are cities <laughs> with dy- dynamic economies and and good factory jobs. 
and that means black people come to them and that means whatever racism um mm. whatever racism is there gets expressed and it gets expressed in housing covenants and it gets expressed yeah. in, in, in neighborhood design and it gets expressed in in, in how these places are, are policed and it becomes very very institutionalized um yeah. and <clears throat> and you know i like uh, the riot is the language of the unheard you know um, yeah yeah and I, I i i think there's something to be said of um i don't know the the if the midwest is the country's repository for normal or whatever and you know normality has um you know come to represent come to mean in the u.s like this this kind of um uh aw shucks white man you know um (laughs) there was something about i don't know at least watching the the black lives matter protests in des moines that it it almost felt like a lot of the the black population in des moines going like we're here we represent Mm -hmm. part of this place as well we are des moineans yeah because you know the thing is oh man people would talk about the protests like these outsiders were coming in and you know they, they relied a lot on the outside agitators talking point for a reason and it was because i they didn't want to think of these people as part of their cities when they were you know and <laughs> there was um there was a big effort to do a lot of these protests on like uh the south side of des moines at one point which is uh you know a lot more a lot more black than the the north side of town and it was very much asserting like this is our city <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that's that's why like I think sometimes hmm. liberal left white people who are midwesterners kind of who kind of feel embarrassed and want you know want to want to apologize for where they're from and for America cuz that hmm. feels like that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. For good reasons. <laughs> they want to sort of talk about, oh, the Midwest, it's its terrible because it's so snowy white and I was so sheltered and I never saw any black people. And it's like, <laughs> I really wanted to push back on that in the book. And the more research I did, the more I wanted to yes. push back on it because one, this is native land, which is some the original article version of the book um, mm-hmm. that I wrote back in like 2017. Like I, I knew that a f- big failing of that article version of it was that I didn't engage enough with native history uh, and i tried mm-hmm. to, to begin to fix that when i when i wrote midwest futures and then two mm-hmm. it's it's just it's not snowy white it's real segregated um you know i yeah. didn't realize i didn't realize this until i'm you know my wife and i um we moved to michigan in 2013 um at the time so that she could um she's a professor of theater at u of m she also was running the pre- prison creative arts project and and uh at u of m and she ran that for several years although thank god um our friend nora is is running it now administration sucks it sucks so hard (laughs) um but uh when i moved back here kind of thinking and and kind of like my my social world was prisons and people who do work in prisons and people who have like Mm. a lot of friends who are in prison i i came to see the state very differently. And one of the things that I realized is that, you know, Michigan, um, you know, there, there were hard, there really were hardly any black people in the town where I grew up. I, I, I right. the number of black people that I met my whole childhood up to college, you know, count them on a couple of hands for sure. But Michigan is a black state. It's just, mm. we 
keep people Michigan is dotted with sundown with historically sundown towns first of all um like Howell for example uh which is Mm -hmm. pretty close to me that's that's kind of a famous one Uh, and 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 two like you know I just did a workshop this past weekend at a a writing workshop uh at a one of the prisons in the upper peninsula and you know I Mm -hmm. drive it's tiny um extremely white Kinchlow, Michigan um and I don't, I don't say white to like I'm um, whatever. They, you can't help how you were born. Whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying that like snarkily. Yeah. And it's it's not like this is a rich town with a lot of opportunities either. Um, right, right. White. The problems of the white work. The white portion of the working class are are real. Um, but then I go into the prison and and oh, that's where all the black people are. Um, like mm. so, the cities are segregated, yeah. and in the era of mass incarceration. Um, you know, we, we also do the most brutal kind of segregation, mm-hmm. uh, you know? So like, yeah, mid Midwestern places really need to, to kind of move off of the, Oh, it's so embarrassing and lame how snowy white this place is and, and, and m- need to move past that to, you know, why is it that I can grow up in the same state that gave the world Motown and, and I, right. I met five, 10 black people my whole childhood. Yeah. Know? Absolutely. That, that wasn't an accident. When I was a kid, I thought it was an accident. I just thought, I really, the just so story that I told myself was, well, who the hell wants to live in Alma? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was, that was it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's, I think, an attitude I had a bit about Des Moines. I, I have yeah. to wonder with, uh, with the protests in Des Moines anyway, to what extent a lot of the white liberals were just stunned that there were as many black people in Des Moines as there were. You know, once once you could see a lot of people in the streets, like it it was kind of stunning because, yeah, everyone always talks about how white the city is, which I I I always want to push back on a bit. I I, it is a white city for sure, but it is also a black city. It's also got a pretty large Latino population. I, um, you know, I my my mom's side of the family is married, um, married into a handful of Mexican families. So I I had that knowledge, at least that the of the Latino population. But um yeah, but yeah. that like this place is so white meme can be a way to keep from moving on to that work of like yeah why have these why has this group of people been funneled into the worst neighborhoods so that they're yeah. here and this is their city and i don't see them and mm. and they don't have as nice stuff as me you know? yeah there's which um, i think that's the conversation you gotta have yeah and i think it's a it's a, a worthwhile kind of history to bring to the forefront because i'm thinking of um uh, there was a there's been a little bit of it in des moines lately a really fantastic article with i think it was with little village i think is the name of the publication is a small uh publication here where they they talked about um some of the the kind of bustling black communities historic black communities in des moines that had been destroyed during the uh kind of the explosion of the city you know when when they started uh you know uh, they built you know highways right through it and they you know whatever there's um like a mini version of robert moses (laughs) exactly yeah there was there was like the the robert moses hit hit des moines in, in many ways there's uh these these streets that i drive on um ironically a neighborhood right next to what is called martin luther king jr drive <laughs> that um, oh, that's so comical <laughs> it's it's yeah i mean you there's little neighborhood there that has just been uh like essentially gentrified and then it will cave in economically and then become a poor neighborhood and then get regentrified so it's, it's a really weird 
neighborhood because mm-hmm. it was like a former uh kind of like former black jazz area happened there and then like in the 20s they like destroyed it and uh you know put like op like like hotels and stuff there um and then those hotels would would, would house like opera singers and stuff and then through some economic shift that i don't remember exactly the details those became apartments and so now you know you can buy a cheap apartment in this you know area of sherman hill that is a former opera apartment from the 20s or you know opera uh uh, hotel for opera yeah opera singers and oh. then now because of that all of these these mansions that were there are subdivided up into apartments but then people are moving there because it's a cool and hipster thing to do and now the prices are going up there again <laughs> it's just this endless cycle of i don't know relitigated history I don't... <laughs> yeah 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 anyway um god there's a lot of a lot of different directions to go here could go here um I don't know. Is there something specific you wanted to bring in, bring up or? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny how like quickly a book, well, at least for me, the just disappears. Is, yeah. 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 It's like, oh, yeah, I wrote that. That was cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I have anything. I just, I was like, Ooh, yeah. Soviet Midwest Anglican. I'm, I'm going to get along with this dude. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying yes to that invite. Oh, uh, one thing I you you kind of mentioned you lived briefly in the South. Um, you talk a bit about this in the book. What do you what do you think is like kind of a distinction between Southern culture versus Midwestern? Like, what what do you what, what do you think? There's kind of a, a really meaningful distinction there because I there is, but like I don't know. It as we talked I, about I, the evangelicalism, it kind of blurs a little bit at times. I mean, I I do, I do think like the Southern um, plantation owners fail son. Um, the politics of that person has yeah. has spread. It's 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 like some science fiction movie or or a horror movie where like one malign spirit <laughs> has somehow like replicated himself across the country. Uh, yeah. Like he's I blame him for free market economics. I blame him, <laughs> blame him for so many things. Uh, I, I yeah. would like to kill him with a shovel. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I. I I don't want to talk too much about the South because I feel like I, I, I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my time living there. I feel like mm-hmm. I do. I, I had to move past the habit of making invidious comparisons with the Midwest when I was there. Yeah. There were things that really turned me off. And I think, I think maybe mm-hmm. I never learned how to see the place as, as generously um, yeah. as, as I, as I wanted to. I mean, I lived in I lived in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and then when uh, when I finished MFA school uh, and Ashley yeah. and I got married, she was at UNC. I guess I, I I don't know I I was put off by the way that really really committed Southerners will lecture you about how hospitable they are and how <laughs> inhospitable and cold and unfriendly y'all up there are. It's like you're insulting me. This doesn't feel hospitable. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you know, like I give just as good hu- hugs as you do. Fuck off. You know, Fuck like that. I don't know. That just bugged me. It really bugged me. <laughs> and 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 you know, kind of got my. I uh, yeah. People are always saying these little things that I think were supposed to be cute, but uh, you know, I'm just kind of a naturally defensive person, so I would always get my back up. And and then I will say like. 
Although this is less true post-Trump because, you know, he kind of, um, it was, it was like the, it was like the call to all the Nazis to be like, yeah, I'm a Nazi now. Ha uh-huh. Triggered. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think this is, this is more of a problem now everywhere. But I, I, I think when I first lived there, I told myself the very wrong, uh, and, and self uh, aggrandizing narrative that the South was more racist because I definitely saw more over expressions of it. Yeah. And then, um, and then of course, uh, you know, I mean, I think partly being involved with Ashley and being involved with, um, you know, kind of watching her work in prisons and stuff, um, mm-hmm. uh, be, you know, she, cause she would um, come back from trips to the, to visit with, follow along with what the prison creative arts project was doing before she got that job. Uh, and she would be like, what the hell is going on in Michigan? You have a huge black population and you seem to have completely siloed it. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> no, just black people didn't want to live in Alma. I didn't want to live there either. You know, I had my dumb theory still because mm. i hadn't you know like if you don't know the details of history then you you just tell yourself these just so stories that become yeah ideological at, at least in their effects because they're they prevent you from looking in they in explaining reality to you falsely they they yeah make you think you know what happens so you don't have to look into it you know a lot of the impetus to to write the, the article and then the book was just ashley asking me questions about the midwest that i couldn't answer you because, couldn't answer yeah uh well it's just it's normal you don't need to explain that um mm-hmm. it, so yeah i mean i think having those conversations kind of yeah. helps me begin and, and also remembering what i'd seen and and heard in, in minnesota helped me begin to get over that and also just trying to be like okay like, like let, let's not be like completely self-serving and in, in the way we yeah. look at things <laughs> um oh yeah yeah but, but, there, was, but there, there was there was some pretty like i i remember just down the street from 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 me there was this hill that i like to do hill repeats on because i'm a runner and a sicko uh and a <laughs> masochist and there was this truck that just he had a bumper sticker that was like secession the right answer it's like oh fuck off and it, you know people living <laughs> for secession in the downtown area of columbia I also, I, I, I think, um, I think, unfortunately, this is becoming much more common. Um, this is definitely a cancer that is spreading. But I think those were the first two cities I lived in where there was a culture of like, not just anti panhandling in terms of being mean to panhandlers, because that's everywhere. But talent, being mean to people who give money to panhandlers and like having signs saying yeah. don't give money to panhandlers, it's against the rules and like local yeah. laws and like people yelling at you if they saw you give money to panhandlers it was the first place that I had experienced that. So then I think I thought of that as a southern thing, although that could be completely wrong. Could be mm. that started in New York City, <laughs> you know? Yeah, who knows? Ever looked into it. Yeah. Now I've just said a bunch of horrible things about the. I, I, Columbia is a pretty nice city in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Best public library, best like central downtown public library I have ever, of of any city I've I've ever lived in, except maybe for the Twin Cities. Uh, Columbia, the Columbia Public Library rocks. It's so good. Yeah, I have nothing against the South. Um, You know, I don't uh, hate the South. (laughs) Yeah, don't hate the South. No, I, um, 
Uh, no, I, I, it's interesting because a lot of my, my thoughts about the Midwest, like really got triggered over the last couple, last y- couple years, but then last year specifically, um, and kind of a funny parallel. It, it was in part when, um, I started dating my girlfriend in 2020 and she's from Texas. Hmm. Um, and so I uh, too married a Texan. Yeah. yeah. And so she just, I don't know, like got me thinking more about it because she, she never felt quite welcome here. And I oh, was like, why? why you know it seems great here and it started to make me catch on to more of that like i don't know the the stuff i uh you know stuff i perceived as as midwestern niceness was was maybe there's a lot more passive aggression here oh, although yeah. i know that's true about everywhere as well in its own way but no no know. but we are we we are we are passive aggressive i think sometimes that stuff rolls off of me because i'm a i'm yeah. a little bit i'm a little bit asd and so i just don't pick it like people are doing yeah. it to me and i'm just not noticing it just that, so yeah. like, that was a nice interaction <laughs> it's easier for me to deal with so we're was your girlfriend's experience that people were like subtly or unsubtly unfriendly? Uh, yes. Or, and, and, okay. and also, um, you know, also uh, a bit racist because uh, she, she's Mexican from Texas. Um, okay. And well, so that was, that was ooh. its own thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, for sure. Yeah. So it, it's, it's definitely got a lot of that, but you know, it, it got me thinking a lot more about this, this place um and what what it means to be from here i um you know i i i had that that combination and then also um i don't know i i did this like little history internship in denison iowa at the um which is like small town um but it's a the birthplace of donna reed and it <laughs> yes exactly and so her uh her estate ran a little museum that's like this restored german opera house and so uh, it was kind of cool, like giving tours of this this old German opera house. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I, I was you know living there for like a month in like small town away from like everyone I knew back in Des Moines, and just thinking about the Midwest. And it it was kind of interesting because I would think of like Denison as this really Midwest or as this really white Midwestern place, and yet it has like this massive Salvadorian population. You know, that, that was kind of like a recent, uh, you know, flux of like immigrants. And you have the same thing kind of going on in Des Moines as well, where there's a pretty nice sized Mexican population. And so, you know, we, we, we keep continuing to think of the Midwest as this like, you know, aw shucks white guy. But there's this, I don't know, it, it's going to increasingly get less white, especially as, as immigration kind of starts to alter the demographics here. And, you know, we're kind of faced with, um, can, can we make this a hospitable place for those from outside of it for um, everyone yeah i mean the the book that helps me get my head around more of that um was uh latino heartland which i, I cite in mm-hmm. west futures that's an academic book from a few years ago but it yeah I'll check that, that, out. that that handled it um yeah i found i found that book really helpful um yeah yeah i mean right how do we and and, and also i mean how, I mentioned kind of the housing issue here in Ann Arbor. I mean, some of that is also, that is not only how we adapt to climate change because people are, we've, we've made stretches of the world. Like we're in the process of making them uninhabitable. Yeah. And those people have to come somewhere and it should probably be the, <laughs> the yeah. rich country that, that screwed them over <laughs> quite frankly, from a <laughs> justice perspective, if you can't have your home, you should, at least have the nice infrastructure of the jerks who took your home from you. Yeah. Um, yeah. In my opinion, 
and, um, also, like, that is also how you cut emissions. Like, that is one of the best ways, like, building up, not out, etc. Like, that's yeah that's one of the things and that's one of the things that cities can be doing no matter um what the clowns in washington are up to you know like Mm -hmm. that's that's a project that you can constantly be advocating for but that you know that also like you can build the housing but you also have to build the culture that isn't going to be horrendously cruel and racist um Mm -hmm. And that's that's gonna let people, you know, let let kids go to school where they where they need to go, and and you know, not not be yeah. huge babies about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think in part that's that's important for those who I I, I think live in the Midwest is to kind of find uh you know find ways in which you can you can fight to make this a hospitable place because the need for that is coming sooner rather than later you know um as as climate change kind of uh, you know increases the the rate of rate of immigration or whatever there's going to be a point in which the midwest is is fundamentally going to be something different here in a couple decades just like by the nature of this and there's going to be a lot of people that like be you know the the 2020 protests kind of showed there, there's going to be a lot of state violence and people wanting to maintain this um, more and more asinine notion of normal. You know, mm-hmm. we see that, that in the attacks on, on gay and trans kids as well. You know, this, this desire to maintain that like white nuclear family and it's just, you know, it's going to cave in. And so can we, can we create something imaginative and beautiful here or not? That's, that's the challenge. That's the question. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't fully know how to do that. <laughs> I don't either. Oh, that, that, that sucks. Cause I brought you on here to answer that. So I know. Sorry. <laughs> Good thing. You're not paying me. Without hurting my salary. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like I, I, I don't know. I'm frustrated. I, I get, I get frustrated a lot because I feel like on the one hand, um, white fear it, 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 you know to some extent every, everybody on some level fears change everybody yeah. resents death everybody is a little bit sad at the idea that their their the neighborhood of their birth um won't does no longer looks the way it did when you were when mm-hmm. you were born like i think that that is just kind of a human condition um it's yeah. not specifically white and then that those feelings get sort of that gets turned into a potentially solvable problem if we're just mean and violent enough, you know, by by right wing politicians and also by centrist politicians. I mean, there's mm. way too much of um, there. Biden has changed some things about Trump uh, about Trump era immigration policies, and he's left left some things a in place. A lot of it the same. And, yeah. and and he's able to get away with that because so many people tell themselves the story. Well, oh, where oh oh well the. The kids in cages, that was a uniquely Trump thing, and we never have to worry about that again. Like, no, I, <laughs> I wish. Some of those cages were built by your buddy Obama, you know? Yeah. I, I think every power wielder exploits those feelings. And and, um, and so then you have real human needs and problems and real exploitation that is happening within the white working class. And so part of me wants to advocate I mean, you have to confront evil, and that's just non-negotiable. But part of me wants to ad- advocate a politics of like trying to reassure people 
and explain to people where we can as respectfully as possible you know that all this social change you, you don't have to be you don't have to be afraid of it it's like mm-hmm. this is not why you're struggling to pay your bills you're struggling to pay your bills because of capitalism like join me and i, I want to keep yeah. that hand because those are that's those are my people it is mm. it is such an accident of it's like such a couple of lucky breaks that are why I am not like working at Walmart like my dad did for so many years. Um, yeah. And like my shoulders fucked up and now I'm kind of getting, I'm kind of hitting the bike it in too hard. And you know, like, yeah, that could be me so easily. And like, that's a suffering human being and somebody, yeah. Yeah. somebody needs to tr- treat him with dignity. And then at the same time, like I'm very, very sympathetic <laughs> to the, the argument we, we, we um, that we spend too much time catering to the emotions of rather than the material needs of um, a, mm-hmm. a, a white person who's nostalgic. It, yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean, there's probably not a question that can be answered in the abstract. Um, no, I, I think it's probably something that needs to be kind of struggled with, you know, actively. Absolutely. But but it, it I, I think that's that is important because I'm thinking of. Um, uh, the uh, the semi-controversial Sam Adler Bell piece he did recently about wokeness. Oh, what was that? A few weeks back where he was talking about um, the language we use to talk about whether or not it alienates people. Um, it's a really it, it is a really great piece, but um, people just didn't like that he used the word wokeness in it. But it was a really great piece. And he, he has this chunk on it about, um, you know, that, that necessarily leftism is an invitation to like a risk. It's a risky proposition. It's an invitation to somebody to look at the world in a counterintuitive way. Um, and so there, there's something challenging about that necessarily. But, you know, if you're a good communicator, you should be able to explain why, you know, we should conspire together to do something good <laughs> to make make the world yeah. better than it has to be. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I agreed with the fundamentals of Sam's piece. I, I love Sam. Sam's a great dude. It, it kind of yeah. hurts him getting getting accused of being someone he he really wasn't i do think using the word wokeness is probably kind of an unforced strategic error on his part because yeah because like i don't know that that was that was a that was a piece of i i i do kind of feel bad for like how quickly like black people (laughs) lost that word (laughs) you know yeah that's Uh, true and, and, and it became symbolic of something that like it, it, it didn't really like like when a black person said woke in 2012 it didn't it did not mean your mean hr director now. doing a fucking land acknowledgement that they don't mean um you know, like, <laughs> right yeah it, it, but yeah i mean w- w- the language conversation on the left gets gets really weird because you know people will say like Oh, you don't you don't trust uh, you don't trust non university people to understand these terms that mm, but no, my yeah, yeah. my grandmother understands these terms and you know people can look them up and Google's your friend and I'm like no I think actually my concern is is not that people can't look things up but that like some of our language just sucks like yeah. you just shouldn't have to look it up because you could say what you want what your actual program is like yeah. more forthrightly um but in a in a less dramatic way or in a less sort of pseudo i mean i i just i i think that it's just the the style of i i use the term portentous inexactitude 
that we get from sort of 80s, you know, literary and cultural theory, uh, a lot of which came from the French. I mean, I just I just think it's a bad style. I, I, I want political language. I don't want political language to be where we deal with things that are irreducibly vague. I want political language to like I want the language of a political program to like tell me what you're going to do, you know, and mm. and where the resources are going to go and I, I, I want it to be very concrete and a lot of a lot of left language you know like if you say you're gonna you're gonna decolonize i don't know give, give me an abstraction that we can decolonize you know but people people yeah. talk like this i'm gonna decolonize metaphysics like yeah what, what does that and mean? tell me what you're gonna do you know like, <laughs> well and often it's a smokescreen for nothing it's you know there's there's not yeah i mean i feel bad saying that but sometimes i think that's i think that's true uh Mm. (laughs) yeah it's like what what are you concretely going to do Uh, Mm. i i i want i want poetry to i want poetry to be where we deal where we kind of conduct raids on the unsayable uh I don't think po- I don't think political language, and certainly not political language that is sort of intended for mass consumption, um, that any that you're lying around where anyone could see it. I I don't know that it's best that it's the be- the best tool for that. Yeah, I I almost kind of want to push back on that a little bit, but I'm I'm interested to hear how you would react. How how do you couple that with kind of like uh you you you've, you've mentioned an appreciation for Mark Fisher. Uh, Fisher's kind of um, oh, God damn <laughs> desire to imagine the impossible, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, first of all, like capitalist realism isn't exactly like uh, I don't know how much I would say that it has a program. It's been a few years, but it's mm. I guess I file it under cultural commentary. It's an it's 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 mm-hmm. an attempt to name what's happening. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I do enjoy Mark Fisher, and he is, he mm-hmm. is, but I also, I don't, however, I, I don't think, like, DSA outreach stuff should necessarily be written like Mark Fisher. <laughs> that's that's you know, a good point. I'm talking about, like, like, it, or if you show up at a, at a DSA meeting, um, and, and, you know, you're, you're about to discuss, like, do we get involved in this campaign or not? I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the Mark Fisher register is the the register I would immediately start speaking in. Yeah. I think I think he has value, and I I think probably. I mean, Fisher is someone who's actually caused me to suspect that there's some values value in writers I've previously been really dismissive of. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that that value is. It's it's certainly not like creating a language that we can use to, to kind of hash out strategy and plans together, I guess. Sure. Sure. Hey, does, that make, does that distinction make sense? No, that that's a, that's a good point. And I would also say there, there's a bit of a bit of a trickiness to me even pushing back that way though, because I, I think Fisher is actually a lot more re- readable than I think you would realize from his fans, because I do think he does go like, Hey, you know, why is it that my students can't pay attention? Yes. Why are my you know, students so unhappy? Yeah, and, it's and, very 
you know, it is actually a lot more tangible than I think people give him credit for. There's a side, I, I think earlier on, uh, when, when he, um, was more unreconstructedly part of that, uh, what the hell are they called? Uh, CCRU. Yeah. Yeah. With Nick Land yeah. and all them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> um, what, 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 a <laughs> what a, what a sweet and sour, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Taste sensation that's been i mean if you were in ccru in the 90s you've either become like the <laughs> coolest nicest most interesting person not just fish i mean a lot of a lot of terrific yeah. writers have come out of there and also terrific posters people who like maybe i, mm. I i'm not as crazy about their books but they're just nice people and really mm. interesting uh or or you know yeah you're nick land or um that that lady that writes for uh uh compact um yeah yeah. it's it's yeah yeah anyway yeah and 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 i like the fisher of capitalist realism better um because and 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 the final lectures and like a lot of his stuff i mean fisher for me is very often the person who will take a concept that is exactly what i was complaining about a minute ago like exactly the kind of leftist language then like why like why would if if, if you're not actually going to go from door to door ripping parents ripping children from their parents arms why would you say you're a family abolitionist um yeah like yeah. why would you why would you it's not that i don't think people can look that up and realize oh no they're not actually gonna make it illegal for you to be part of your family they're going to make it easier uh yeah but it might not be a helpful term yeah like but 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 it's it's just like yeah i'm sure people can look that up but like why would you say why it's it's like if it's like if i said if i i had a program for universal dental dental care but instead uh you know i called it um tooth abolition <laughs> you know, you'll right, never think right. about your teeth again so they'll be abolished <laughs> it, you, you know it's like why would you do that and then i read fisher on family abolition i'm like okay fine there's probably yeah. something to this but um, you know i think what he's got going for him is just being a good communicator yeah. you know and i i think that's 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 kind of what actually Fisher does kind of bridge this, I think, in a bit because he does he does pull things out of the abstract and and looks at the concrete. Um, yeah, he made me more. read Deleuze. I didn't think uh, that was something I was ever going to do. He made me read Spinoza. Um, <laughs> yeah, people had probably never, never have read. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think this is probably uh, moving toward wrapping up here. But um, I guess what I, I know we we both are like ah man i don't even know what we should be doing right now what the left should be doing right now um but i'm sure there is stuff right like the what what, what um okay I, I'll, i'm gonna do a, a cliche thing um from the the magnificast if you've ever listened to them they, they've often end interviews where they're like what they're they're a christian leftist podcast and they often ask what uh what can christians learn from the left and what can leftists learn from christianity and we've kind mm-hmm. of talked about both of those things and so i kind of think that would be an interesting way to end this is is maybe to go okay we're, we're in need of this kind of hope right now and the left seems to be really struggling for hope and you know christianity in theory has got a lot of that hope so i i think there's something there right um i don't know is is is, is this bringing anything up i don't know <laughs> well yeah I, i've I mean, I'm, I'm worried about repeating myself. Mm. Like the people who 
I, I have like not very many readers, but they're all really sticky and loyal. Uh, and I know who mm. most of them are personally, and I love them. <laughs> I can't watch them by name, but um, so I'm, I'm worried about being boring by saying stuff I've said before. But I, I think one, I, uh, you know, Christian, Christian, Christ, Christianity is not always a religion about success. It's a religion about faithfulness. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, you don't, you know, sometimes, sometimes you're the acorn seed that falls into the ground and dies. Um, yeah. And the, the, you know, the fruit. You, you may never know about it um, yeah. because God, God brings it. Um, I, th- I think that internalizing that a little more would help leftists be a little more faithful to each other mm-hmm. uh, and, and to keep showing up uh, at, at the, at, you know, our, our lame organizations with our, our two long <laughs> meetings. And um, so that's, I mean, I think, I think that's something like, yeah that you know there's sometimes you're in season sometimes you're out of season um mm-hmm. do the next good thing do the things that you know you should be doing and and continue to do those um mm-hmm. because i think the I think the left is in a very justifiable panic you know we we needed yeah. utterly top to bottom social change forever ago you really need it now um and, and as soon as you think you have a strategy uh, that'll work, then it feels like the only moral thing to do is be really, really irritating until the faction that you're committed to that has <laughs> the correct strategy has won every argument. And, 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 and that, that, mm. that behavior is so understandable and so human, and we're all going to be guilty of it at some point. It's probably inescapable, but like, that's... Yeah. That's not that that is also why the left is notoriously a circular firing squad all the time. Yeah, that is why everybody is legitimately like if we don't find the right strategy and prioritize the right things, there are huge stakes attached to that. I think I know what the, I think I know what those are. Yeah. I've to, you know, you're yeah. panicking. And so I think a little more emphasis on just and continuing to do the things that you mm-hmm. know you can do that are that are concretely good um, yeah. you know whether that's local you you know local union struggles or local mutual aid projects or um, you know local elections which is something that historically uh, especially off-season elections we're not we don't pay enough attention to I think that's something. I think that's something the left can learn from Christianity, and I think the left, in general, is is mostly exists to remind Christians what our what our moral commitments look like in the abstract. Because I think Christianity is a religion um, that should encourage you to be looking out for the underdog. And yeah, I think leftists. More uh, not not that we have all the answers or we're always right or no co- cultural conservative has ever written a good article whatever um, I mean especially <laughs> when it comes to art criticism I feel like the conservatives tend to be beating our asses but uh, <laughs> you know b- but I I do think we have tools that are likelier to be useful in identifying who's the underdog right now yeah and that's something Christians have a stake in 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 knowing yeah. Awesome. 
Well, this has been uh, this has been fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm glad we got a chance to talk. I'm glad to you know meet you face to face. Yeah. Um, do you do you have some Michigan connection? I or uh, no, not really. Your your co-host on oh that yeah. yes yes um, Finch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I recent I just recently found that out. Well, if you're if you're if you if you guys ever do a live show. <laughs> I'll, uh, you're, you're Check it tool. out. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll buy you all a, a drink or coffee. That sounds great. Yeah. Awesome.